Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Legend of Korra, book two, Spirits. It's not a book, it doesn't have any pages. <laughs> it has chapters, I guess. Yes, it does have chapters. Hmm. Uh, 14, in fact. Hello, welcome back, Damask, to, uh, well, welcome to 2019, I guess. We say we do this each and every week. We've taken, like, three or four weeks off. We have. We're back. Woohoo! How you feeling? Did you have a nice break? Did you have a nice Christmas, nice New Year? I did have a nice Christmas and a nice New Year. I was, cool. I was in Perth for the first time. How was Perth? I've never been to that side of the country. Beautiful. Oh. Like, I thought, I'll be honest. I had <laughs> oh, a go. perception of Perth. Yeah, which, like, tell me what your perception was. My perception was that it was a boring shithole. Okay. I went there. It's so beautiful. And amazing restaurants. Yeah. Really cool like, nooks and stuff that were very like, kind of like remind me of Brunswick kind of vibe. Wow. It was, it's, and it's so beautiful. I can't emphasize, emphasize, fuck. Emphasize. No, emphasize. Enf- <laughs> this is our first podcast, ba- podcast back from a holiday, people. Uh, you might be able to tell Red by... Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> we haven't warmed up I yet. I can't emphasize. Emphasize. Emphasize, fuck. Enough how beautiful it is. It's right. gorgeous. So that was all what your preconceptions were all East Coast propaganda. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. Yeah. There you go. Mm. And I apologize, Perthians. I don't know what you're meant to be called. I'm going to assume Perthians is right. Sure, Perthians. Yeah, that sounds right. Sure. Let's how, go was, with that. how was your New Year's? Yeah, it was all right. Uh, it was good. New Year's was nice and chilled. I just tried my best to not do anything too crazy. Like I, I, the last three, probably New Year's, mm. has been like a just a little bit of drinking, if that, maybe even bed before 12. And it's working out pretty well for me. I like this waking up on Jan 1 and not having a hangover. It's a good way to start your year. That used to be my way. No yeah. longer. It hasn't been working for Sounds me. Sounds really boring, but no, cool. No, it's good. You wake up and you do something productive on your first day. You're like, oh, I'm just going to enjoy the sunshine and like but can't have a picnic. can't you just do that every day of the... Yeah, but it's like you're setting like a tone for the rest of the year, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like, that's the idea. I woke up on a floor and then shoved Maccas into my face. So, if that's my year ahead, <laughs> oh, fuck yes. <laughs> good point. Uh, yeah, 2019, treating you okay so far? So far, so good. I'm very busy. Mm-hmm. Interested to see how I'm going to fit everything in, including the podcast. Speaking of, you should talk about you've released three videos three so far. Three episodes of Love is a Lie. Yes, I have. If you haven't seen these yet, listeners, check out the Hunting Seasons YouTube page where you will find uh, Love is a Lie. It's Damask's little video essay series mm-hmm. about 
Are they always bad rom-coms or just rom-coms in general? Um, I mean, I'm never going to, like, make fun of When Harry Met Sally because that movie's perfect. But, yeah, like, yeah, like B to A minus B rom-coms. to A minus rom-coms. Okay, yeah. so middle of the road rom-coms. I think so. Okay, yeah, like cool. the rom-coms that make us all feel, like, warm and fuzzy on a Sunday but are actually pieces of shit. Sure. Is, like, where the vibe is generally going to be at. Like, I started F which was A Christmas Prince, the sequel. <laughs> um, that was just kind of like a little funny way to start. But generally, it's going to be about just, yeah, the rom-coms that we love, but we know we shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. No, they truly are excellent, and I encourage everyone, if you haven't mm. watched them yet, or if even if you have, go re-watch them, guys. That's right, and there's more to come. More to come, mm-hmm. and a few other little projects I've noticed as well. Yes, Why? yeah, we did a little filming over the weekend. You helped out with that. Thank you very much. That's so, okay. there'll be uh, more projects coming out soon. Secret stuff, but look forward to that. Oh, in God, the m- with those people. Oh, we've got secret stuff coming, guys. <laughs> Stay tuned. Gonna build the hype. Stay you know? tuned. Yeah, it's right gross. Uh, in the meantime, let's get to Off Topic Hot Topic. Off Topic Hot Topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. There have been news stories like mm-hmm. over the break. There's been a few, in fact, leading up to this. But so I- what you're telling me is that when Hunting Seasons isn't on air, News is still happening. Are you, I know it's hard what, to believe. What? What? But it is true. Okay. Um, however, I didn't bring any news stories this week. I still want to go over some stuff that I got to watch over the break. Lovely. Talk about that. We'll get to news, the important stuff next time. Mm-hmm. You know, Academy Award nomination, stuff like that. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, okay. Things I've watched. Doctor Who, the New Year's special. Forgot about it. Every now and then I'd be like, oh, that's right. I've got that to watch. Didn't invest any time in it. How was it? So, it's called Resolution. Uh, it is par for the course of the last season of Doctor Who. Okay. So, if you want to know how we feel about that, I'd check out our, <laughs> uh, ser- our podcast about Series 11 Doctor Who. Um, there are some good things this episode. I don't think it's a spoiler to say, since it was ended up in the advertising for it, um, that there is a Dalek or Daleks in this episode. Mm-hmm. Previously in the Jodie Whittaker Doctor first season, there were no returning monsters from anything. Daleks show up and they use the Dalek in a reasonably good way. Daleks have been overused in mm. modern times. Um, but they had some original and creepy ideas there. They even did something that was that we see a lot of with other Doctors and the Daleks, but the first time with Jodie Whittaker with anything and just see the Doctor with a bit of fear for the first time. Mm. You know, she realises this thing's a Dalek. There's a bit of like, you don't understand, guys. This thing is crazy. It doesn't last very long, though. Right. Otherwise, very much on par with the rest of the season, right. which we did not love. Can I say I got into a heated discussion... Yeah. With my girlfriend's stepdad over dinner about um, whether Daleks and Cybermen and those ilk or characters of that ilk uh, were necessary for the Doctor Who, Doctor Who universe anymore. I was on the negative. I was like, I don't think we need those stories anymore. He was strongly affirmative and we had a discussion about it. <laughs> Very cool. It, which would, had to be broken up. Would you? Are you mainly talking about the monsters? Like, I can see something like the Master and like Davros as characters I'm being talking things- like... The monsters, the Daleks, and Cybermen, I don't find them interesting at all. 
yeah, at all. The I think the iconic nature of them, and also they sort of work as like being toys and stuff like that. Mm. I see why they keep bringing them back as a brand. It's good to have those sorts of things yeah. in them. I guess boring storytelling. Though. But the problem is they have been done. I mean, there's been 50 years of these stories. Yeah. They've maybe <laughs> been done to death at this stage. Yeah. Um, you haven't finished the Capaldi stuff though, have, yet? Have you? No. There's some good Cybermen stuff coming up eh, though. I believe you. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, I got to see Aquaman, which is the oh. latest DC Universe film connected mm. to Justice League and Batman, uh, the Superman versus Batman versus Superman, whatever it's called, uh, Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, all those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was previously, Jason Momoa was Aquaman in Justice League. That was it, our yep. sort of proper introduction to him mm-hmm. and I hated him in that film mm-hmm. um, and I went into this film not particularly interested but there are definitely some good things about this film it's undoubtedly fun visually exciting um, you know how there's sort of this idea that when you're writing an action film right there mm-hmm. should be an action beat like every 10 pages or so so approximately yeah. every 10 minutes I swear there's an action beat every three to five pages really? it's insanely <laughs> paced. It's a good, a good example of like the idea that a blockbuster movies can sometimes be like a ride more than like a narrative or a story. Mm-hmm. This has strong themes that it states, but I don't think it demonstrates at all. People kept telling me what the film was about. I was like, yeah, I know it was about that. It said that, but it did not demonstrate that at all. Like it didn't, the characters didn't go on that journey. Mm. They just started one place, ended another. Everybody around them agreed that happened. And I was like, but that. What? <laughs> that didn't happen. But a lot of cool shit around it happened, mm. and that was fun. Um, but, you know, that not every film needs to be that necessarily. It can be a ride. If you just switch off your brain, you will have a very good time looking at pretty pictures. Um, do not come, in t- come to this film looking for good dialogue, acting, or chemistry between its performers. Uh, is Amber Heard? Yeah. And Jason Momoa? Mm. I mean... Yeah, no, you know, there's nothing there. <laughs> they, they try and do this romance subplot in the middle alongside this like weird Indiana Jones sort of like sequence, mm. like series of sequences even. There's an Indiana or an Uncharted film in the middle of this movie. Right. <laughs> um, and it's just like this, this isn't working at all. However, highlight, mm. Julie Andrews voices a giant sea monster. So that's something. That's amazing. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I knew it was coming. But it was happening. I was like, this is cool. <laughs> Uh, I also get to see Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Mm-hmm. So, this is the latest Disney animated film from mm-hmm. the the recent Disney 3 animated films, including like Tangled and Frozen and um, Zootopia and Wreck-It Ralph. Did you see Wreck-It Ralph? I loved it. Loved it, right? Yeah, it was I'm great. I'm a big fan of the first one. I've gone back and watched it recently. It's not as pretty as I remember it being mm-hmm. in some ways, but it's. I think as a film, it still holds up really well. I showed my girlfriend for the first time before we went to see this one mm. and she really enjoyed it as well. And she's not a game or anything like that. I obviously did find some enjoyment just in sort of like the references and stuff. Um, Wreck-It Ralph 2, it's a... F- yeah, it's... Ralph breaks the internet. They've sort of moved away from the video game tropes. There's a few of them in there and they've moved more into the world of the internet. So, Ralph and Penelope go into the internet for reasons mm-hmm. that you would see if you saw the movie. And so, there's a lot of like... Sort of what they did with the Emoji movie, which I worried about of like riffing on Google and Twitter and Amazon and like recognizable like things from being an internet user. Uh, It's a fun follow-up that weirdly benches the original supporting cast. So you remember Calhoun and uh, Fix-It Felix Jr.? Yes. They're barely in this movie, which I thought was really rubbish. Fix-It Felix Jr.? That's his name, Fix-It Felix Jr. I didn't realize he was the son. There is a Fix-It Felix Sr., 
Apparently, just talking around this movie for a second, there were rumours when they were talking originally about making Wreck-It Ralph 2, it was going to be about Fix-It Felix in a lot of ways and about his relationship with his dad, Fix-It Felix Senior. Oh. And that idea obviously got scrapped. Because there's awesome, yeah. none of that in this movie. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they get back to that one day. Um, it's amusing, Wreck-It Ralph 2, if, but not really hilarious. Um but it does come together to find a fresh but relatable emotional core. Like, it's okay, where it good. finally gets to is good. But I didn't think it was as good as the first. Mm. It's still decent, though. And definitely a fun time at the cinemas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also got to see Mary Poppins Returns. So, this ah, is yes. the sequel 50-plus years after the original with Julie Andrews. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about this before, that I was very worried about this movie. As mm-hmm. a massive fan of the original I wanted this to be great, but worried it was going to sort of either just try and retread on old ground too much or be too similar to the original that's sort of pointless and shouldn't be there. Fuck the haters. I adored this movie. And there are haters out there, people who really just don't want... I don't know. I think people uh, are sceptical of it because it exists at all. Mm -hmm. Like, there are reasons to dislike it. Um, the author, is it P.L. Travers, I think her name is? Sure. Uh, she never wanted them to make a movie in the first place. Once they made the first one, she was like, you're never doing this again. Yeah. She's since passed away and her estate have said yes because money. Um, so there's a lot of cynicism around that. Mm. Uh, the sort of the the reasoning behind that or the motivations behind that. People just like, Julie Andrews can't be in this. Why would you make a sequel to, the, to a classic sort of thing? And I was worried about that stuff too. Um, people have also said the music's not as good as the original which I think might be true, but they're also comparing them to songs they've known for 50 years, like Mm. songs that you've heard a million times over. And coming out of this movie, I was definitely humming a few of the songs, and I've since listened to the soundtrack a few times. There are some fucking bangers on there. It is a good, good score, I think. It's been nominated for uh, Best Song, so there's that. Uh, Yeah, um, it does have that Force Awakens problem where it's a bit of a, a dequel, um, or a requel might be a better way of putting it, sort of a remake and a sequel at the same time. But just like The Force Awakens, it is still totally excellent. I was really excited to see it again. I'm really excited to see it again. And I've already decided I'm going to get this one on Blu-ray when it arrives because it is awesome. Um, uh, Emily Blunt's great in it. Kids are great in it. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Red leather, yellow leather. I really enjoyed him in it. I think some people have a problem with him. But I like Staring it. at me. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're not a big fan. I don't have a problem with him. I just like, is he grossly overrated? Of course he is. Sure. Of course he is. He's a, he's a pretty fun guy, though. Do you follow him on Twitter? No, no I don't care. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, that was great. Everyone should go see Mary Poppins Returns. It's awesome. Tidying up with Marie Kondo was the other thing I've been watching. Oh. Have you watched any of this? Check out my drawers and ask me that question again. <laughs> I'll check later. They're goddamn pristine, I'll ah, tell you that right. much. Okay, very good. <laughs> uh, so, I haven't watched all of it yet. This is, uh, by the way, this is a new Netflix series um, about sort of a reality series using Marie Kondo, who is famous for the KonMari method. She's written a book. It's like the something joy of tidying up, whatever it is. It's book been out for a while now. And it's all about uh, a method used to tidy up and sort of hopefully de-stress and declutter your life and all those sorts of things. She's the woman that made book Twitter set itself on fire. Well, so, yeah, I was going to talk about that in a moment. Um, I've only watched like half of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cute, fluffy reality show that while not as enjoyable to watch as, say, Queer Eye, or the new Queer Eye has been in my eyes, uh, is much easier and cheaper to execute on its life-transforming ideas. Like, Queer Eye means you got to, like, 
redo your house and mm. like redo your whole wardrobe and stuff. This is like, here's how we can just take your life and just improve it a bit by using some little techniques and methods. And I found that very helpful. Apparently, everyone's going crazy for it. And crazy is when <laughs> all of a sudden Twitter picked up on this idea that apparently Marie Kondo was saying you have to throw out your books. Or that you should get rid of a lot of your books. Mm. Or that I maybe you should on only fire. have 30 books. That's been a common line as well, the um. idea of setting books on fire. <laughs> um, that you should maybe only have 30 books in your house, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And people went fucking insane about this. Yeah. It was one of the most overblown things I've ever seen in my entire life. That's mostly Because mostly people didn't really... Were, were people who hadn't watched it. Who yeah, hadn't, of course. Or if they had, they really weren't paying attention to what was going on. Within two if episodes. If anyone is hysterical over a tiny Japanese woman's <laughs> Netflix show, I'm, you know, I think it's easy to understand that they probably have one haven't seen it, or two have much rational thought within their own brain. <laughs> so yeah, like I get the idea to come in defense of books, like they are, you know, um, great things to have in your house in terms of they're great talking pieces. They're full of knowledge theoretically. Like if they're good books and you enjoy them, you can go back to them. There's a lot of a lot to be enjoyed of there. The it's great not what decorations she's saying, ever, but it's not what she's saying. So you don't even need to bring those points up. These people are idiots. Full stop. True. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, we've uh, solved that problem then. Excellent. Done. You're welcome, internet. That's uh, what I've been watching. What about you, Damask? I saw... Okay, this is actually funny. On the way to the cinemas in Perth, it was like one of the few moments where my... Because we were visiting her, her family. My girlfriend and I were driving around Perth. We're like, oh, we've actually got an afternoon where it's just us. Let's go watch a movie. Okay. I, for some reason, thought we were going to see Aquaman. I don't know why. It's a shame you didn't, really. I feel like that's what we had discussed and agreed upon. She thought we were watching The Favourite. And so, we are both talking about like going to see How this movie. How on earth did you get I that mixed up? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we get there and we buy our tickets. And so, like my expectations were very different <laughs> of like what we were going to see. Wait, so you didn't even know at the ticket... Past the ticket booking phase. Not past the ticket booking. We got there and she bought the tickets. So I was like, oh, we're seeing the favourite. So I had to quickly like readjust the afternoon I was about to have. <laughs> so we entered the, the cinema. Stop drinking immediately. <laughs> That's right. Although uh, this movie might require a bit of drinking. Um, so, yeah, we sat down in a cinema that was maybe half full, oh, yeah. mostly with... Um, elderly women sure who were there to watch a, a nice period piece so what time and what day of the week was this i think it was a saturday mid-afternoon oh okay yeah interesting um so yeah these old ladies just there to watch a nice period piece yep. so good on them um <laughs> guessing they got the more film than they industry. Uh, oh did they um now look i personally can't stop thinking about this film it is brilliant and i mean brilliant it's also disgusting. Oh. Uh, the cast is <laughs> electric. The direction will consume you and the script will have you laughing, vomiting, and then crying all in the same scene. It's the tale of Queen Anne and the two women vying for her favour. Uh, and it's an intriguing period piece, to say the least, that somehow humanises and deifies each of its characters they're larger than life, that's for certain, um, but their very human desires will be their downfall. Ultimately, this is the best film that I've seen in a very, very, very long time. I don't think I can fault it. Like, it's so, so, so good. The characters are so grotesque. It is genuinely hilarious, although my girlfriend and I were the only ones laughing in the cinema because the six-year-old women 
didn't seem to get it or appreciate it. So that Aquaman pre-drinking did pay off. <laughs> no, I was totally sober, to be honest with you. Um, but it, it was fantastic. And so the last shot was there. It was very upsetting. End of the film. And I was just like, I can't stop thinking about that shot. It's – um, and the movie ended and I was kind of in shock at what I'd just seen. And <laughs> the two ladies sitting directly beside me – one turns to the other and she's like, I've never heard the word cunt so many times <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and then as they walk past but she us. Said, wait, she said it specifically that way. She didn't say like the C. Like, no, she said cunt. That's the best. We are Australian. I love that. Um, and as they passed us when they were leaving the cinema, they turned to Andrew and myself. And Sorry, I'm just thinking of like, I am, you, you are, are, we are Australian. Because you say cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <It's like> <laughs> um, yeah, as they passed, Angela and I, we were still sitting there kind of like gathering our thoughts and one of the la- the other lady turned to us and she's like, oh, that was truly bizarre, wasn't it? And Angela goes, yeah, but we enjoyed it. <laughs> so it wasn't quite the period piece they were after, uh-huh. but it was certainly what I was after and it was Incredible. I, I legitimately give it 10 out of 10 powder beads. Wow, excellent. Yeah, it's amazing. Everyone should go watch it. Yes, I'm very keen to see that. I'm going to have to now. It's like a month until the Oscars has been nominated mm. for Best Picture now, which means I am required to watch it. So, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to it though. Lots of awesome people in it. Uh, so just wanted to ask, have mm-hmm. you watched any of Yorgos Lanthimos's other... I don't know if that's how you say his name properly, but something like that. Have you heard he seen or seen his other films at I haven't all? seen that Lobster one. You haven't seen the Lobster? No. What else has he done? Uh, the Killing of a Sacred Deer, I think, is the name of the other film he nope. did. Um, yeah, Killing of a Sacred Deer. There's also Dogtooth. Um, nope. And I'm not sure if he directed that one or not. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, you haven't seen... It doesn't sound like no. you've seen any of them. Okay, cool. So, I was thinking about going to see The Lobster and then I remember you and Lauren didn't like it, so I didn't go see it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I saw it separately to Lauren. Lauren yeah. came back and talked about how much she absolutely despised it. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched it. It is a very weird film. I won't wouldn't say I loved it. But I wouldn't say I hated it either. Right. It's just very different. Mm-hmm. And he's got a particular style. From what I understand as well, this is one of his more approachable films. So I'd be interested to see you see something like The Lobster mm. and see what you thought that was like compared to The Favourite. Mm. Vice versa, I've got to see The Favourite so I can compare yeah. it to, um, to The Lobster. But yeah, I would be keen for you to check that out. All right, maybe. Now that's one. Of, now it's like one of your favorite films of all time. Ten out of ten. You got to check out his other work. Well, okay, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, Setting your homework. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> so also over the little summer break or winter break, depending on what hemisphere you're in, uh, I was finally able to catch up on all of my Real Housewives. I haven't had the time to do it, um, as well as invest in invest some time in a few new reality TV shows, one of which is called The Bylife. Oh, wait a second. Are we having a reality check? Reality check. We are. Now, The Bylife is a dating show in which a house of bisexual singles go out and date a bunch of people and hope to find love. And I dug it. I dug it a lot. It breaks your heart a little. There are plenty of embarrassing moments, which is what we all want from a reality show. And there are a few endearing cuties that will have your heart fluttering. If you're after a show that'll fill your tummy with queer butterflies, this is the show for you. It also helps that it's hosted by an Australian icon, Courtney Act. Oh, really? Yeah, I love Courtney Act. Um, so this is also, so watch that if you've got some 
spare time, which I'm sure you all do, you listen to a podcast right now, <laughs> get a life. Um, it's also my annual reminder that I think everyone should be invested in at least one of the Housewives franchises people looking at you abroad. You've got to have one. It's like a footy team. I had Love Island Australia. It's closest I'm getting. Oh, I, I can't believe I did that. I watch House Rules sometimes. Is that close enough? No, it's no, <laughs> absolutely not. I still need to go and watch that RuPaul's Drag Race season you told me to watch as well. Yeah. Oh, he's such a bad friend. Yeah, I'm the worst. So, and if you're like, oh, I don't know which one to go with. Obviously, I always say this. I think every year, go with Atlanta. It's the best. Always has been. Full stop. Watch Atlanta. So, that's my reality check. Are you interested at all in Australian reality television shows? Like, I used to watch The Block with my mum. Sure. And also, like, I'd wait for an entire finish to be over, which is approximately 150 episodes, <laughs> and then I would marathon it in the ca- on the couch. Um, what about something like Married oh, the, at First Sight? The Australian Bachelor I watch. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I don't know. I just hate free-to-wear television so much. Oh, man. I've been watching the tennis for the last week and a half. Mm. Australian Open's on. It's the best. And uh, <laughs> all... It, like, I am... I'm seeing the same same five ads over and over again. I think mm. I tweeted this the other day. It's like watching, having to watch live sport and reality te- television. Oh, sorry, on free to air TV reminds me why I only watch free to air TV when there's live sport because yeah. it's the fucking worst. <laughs> it's the worst. Is the worst. It's so outdated. I don't know how it still survives. Anyway, live sport is a big part of it. I yeah. think for a lot of people mm. and the news. Um, I yeah, I'd be interested to see you watch one of those Australian reality reality TV shows, I would like to elect for you for a reality check to mm. try out uh, Married at First Sight. Married at First Sight. Because right. it is utter trash. Right. <laughs> and maybe that would be good. All right. Well, the thing is like generally, in this certainly been a case in the past, is that Australian reality shows usually don't have the, the dynamic personalities that American reality TV shows have. Right. They also don't have the huge amount of talent um, in editing that American reality shows tend to have, sure. particularly the Real Housewives franchise. Like, the people who work at Bravo are incredible. Right. Um, so, yeah, I find, one, the pace off, and two, the personalities just aren't there. But I'm willing to give it a go. Maybe, maybe fa- things have changed. For the sake of a reality check segment, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see what that looks okay. like. Anything else? Um, so, you probably already know this, but Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle has a sequel coming. Yes. Which is starring Danny Glover, Aquafina, and Danny DeVito. So, sorry, what? No, I didn't know this. Go over those names again. Danny Glover. Yes. Aquafina. Uh, sorry, Danny Glover, not Don Glover. Get Danny right. Glover. Danny Glover, yep, cool. Aquafina. Yep. And Danny DeVito. And Danny DeVito. I knew Danny DeVito was in yeah. it. Okay, cool. So, that, that's the cast list so far, as far as I know. Yep. Um, but I only recently watched Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And? With The Rock. <laughs> I was... At Angela's mum's house, uh-huh. late at night, like, let's watch a family-friendly movie. Chose that one, like, this is going to be dumb. Great. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it so much. Um, it was, oh, you know, I'm going to say, a delight. Yeah. An absolute delight. Dwayne Johnson is adorable and I love him. Yes. I already loved him because I think he, he's quite possibly the most beautiful man in the world. Not physically, not my jam, but I think he's got a beautiful heart. Um, Karen Gillum is an awkward cutie in that movie. Yeah. Jack Black is a total babe. Yeah. And Kevin Hart is, I don't know, small. I really don't have much of <laughs> an opinion about him. Um, but yeah, I really liked it. So I'm kind of looking forward to the sequel, which I did not expect to happen. But there you go. I remember when this film was announced, everyone's like, what are you talking about? Why is this being made? I remember the there was some reveals of like the characters, particularly mm. Karen Gillan's costume reveal. 
and it, and like everyone's like, oh my god, they can't believe they're doing this, you know, mm. putting in this skimpy outfit, yeah. and everyone's like, I remember them saying, it's like, guys, it's like. It's you'll you'll get why we're doing this when the movie comes out. I remember mm-hmm. thinking because it was based on a video game. I was like, oh yeah, she's doing like the Lara Croft thing, and mm-hmm. it's going to be a play on that. And then seeing the movie, I actually saw it at cinemas. Um, I went with my girlfriend Steph, and yeah, similarly, we're just like, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a good film. It was a a delight, and the audience fucking loved it. Yeah. They ate it up. Great movie. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's good. You're right about the Rock as well. Dwayne Johnson is that's pro- that's his problem, right? Is he. He's obviously so talented, so charming, mm. so likable. Mm-hmm. And he's got like this, I want to say it's like a one to two hit to flop ratio mm. where like he... Do you think that ratio is changing now though? I don't know. Because he had like, yeah, Jumanji, massive hit. Everyone's like, the rock is back he's a, or he's arrived again sort of situation. Mm-hmm. And then he has Skyscraper, which makes no money. <laughs> it's like, oh, doesn't it? And that's like, that's uh... his, you know, he, and, the, and I think last year he had... So, it was like the end of 2017, I think, was Jumanji. And then there was Rampage at the start of last year, 2018. Right. Which I don't think did very well either. I don't even know what that is. Yeah, yeah. right. Actually based on a video game. And then there was Skyscraper. And so, like, you've got these three films that Mm. have ostensibly the rock in the leading role. he's got Moana as well, right? And yeah, there's Moana. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, he seems to do better. Like, everyone knows he's the best part of a lot of these movies. But Mm -hmm. he... But, like, Jumanji, while the, the rock is maybe the biggest name in that cast. There's also Kevin Hart and mm. Jack Black, you know? Yeah. And so, he gets the rest of that thing to boost him up. Everyone walks away going, The Rock was amazing in that, but he still can't lead a movie. It's weird. Mm. It's this interesting, like... Interesting, yes. Sort of position he sits in. I love him too, though. Maybe he's just making terrible choices. That Possibly it's part of it as mm. well. And we're oversaturated with movies. I don't know. Uh, Jumanji as well. Like, that lent itself. People maybe been wanting a sequel to that film. And then... Yeah, I think press. it was one of those things where, it, like, it wasn't. Oh, no, it wasn't a recall. It was totally different. It was a sequel. I mean, it's, it was a sequel. Yeah, but it wasn't like a recall, is what I'm saying. No, no, it's it's which it's, is nice. Which was a nice touch because yeah. I I was worried that that's what they were going to do there because I actually already did that with a terrible Zathulu. Yeah, that's one of the Kristen Stewart. Well, that's that, I'm pretty sure. Kind of a sequel. It's um, but it feels like a recall because it's. Exactly the same, but in space. Because I think they're a series of books. I think they're like properly related. Like those. Is Jumanji know, a book? I think so. Oh my God. I'm going to double check this in the break, but I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> okay. And Zathura was one as well. And they yeah. were like, same writer, same idea. Like, uh. like, oh, well, let's do Jumanji in space. And then they made them both into movies, but Zathura never took off the same way. No, because. I think John awesome. Favreau made Zathura actually. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. We all make mistakes. <laughs> uh, just before we move on from Jumanji thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how excited I am for the sequel to the sequel yet, um, but I'm willing to see. Do we know if The Rock and Karen Gillan and like those guys are coming back at all? I don't Jack think they Black? would be, no. Because they can't... Spoilers for a movie that's a year and a bit old. They kind of leave the idea that maybe they would. At the very end of that film, I think there's like a, this suggestion that maybe they could go back. Yeah, is there? I've, it's been a while since I watched it. I'm not sure that's when, true. When you've made that movie and you've got that, you know, you've made a billion dollars. No, because I think the made. game evolves every time. So, as so it wouldn't have those characters again. Okay. Yeah, I wonder. I just wonder when you've, yeah, you've made that much money, do you then not use that same cast that was a massive hit the I first time? I don't think time? you do. I think you go with a whole new cast. I'd be very happy if they did. If they do a whole new cast and completely go like, start again, this is a fresh version of this. Mm-hmm. 
I just don't trust Hollywood to do it. No, me either. But oh, I think that's what they're doing. Cool to hear. All right. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of The Legend of Korra Season 2. Yeah. Let me clue you in. Season in review. The Legend of Korra Book 2 Spirits takes us back to the rapidly modernising world of Bending, where Avatar Korra is heading home to the Southern Water Tribe for the annual Winter Solstice Festival. Season 2 first aired after a one-year hiatus as Korra was only originally conceived as a 12-episode miniseries until Nickelodeon ordered an additional run. Studio Mia, who animated the first season, originally declined to return for these new episodes, with Japanese anime studio Piero taking over instead. However, due to production problems, Studio Mia eventually returned to animate half of the season's two episodes and continued through for the seasons to come. The main cast of Season 1 returns, alongside a slew of newcomers, including Lisa Adelstein, Adrian Latorell, Aaron Hamelstein, Audrey Plaza, Stephen Ewan, and John Michael Higgins as eccentric businessman Varick. Season 2 consists of 14 episodes, each coming in at around 23 minutes, and took us approximately 5 hours and 20 minutes to watch. Damask Leary, do you remember uh, how you felt about Season 1 of Korra? I liked it. You liked it? I did like it. I gave it a 3.5. I think I gave it a 4 myself Woo! from memory, uh, but also liked it. Um, good first season. We thought it maybe had some good themes, but didn't get enough time to really dive into them properly. It was missing some opportunities there. Yeah. I mean, coming on the tail of Avatar The Last Airbender, it was, uh, it was a tough time for it, but I think it was telling a different story. Um, not as well, certainly, but there was still a solid story there and one that is, uh, should be appreciated. The point you brought up, I remember when we were doing that review last year now, uh, was that, yeah, there was so much anticipation and expectation mm. because of how much people love the original Avatar The Last Airbender and that to hope that just the first season of Korra could be as good as those full three seasons that make you feel the way that original whole series made you feel was a little unfair and that yes. sometimes people gave it a little bit um, of a hard time because of that. Maybe it didn't quite get there for them, but how could it? With that in mind, can you please give us your spoiler-free review of Korra Season 2? Yes. Thanks. This season of Korra is hard to talk about because it's both about so much and also so little. We have large-scale additions to the mythos, Roles be become defined, and yet character motivations and arcs get murkier and sometimes entirely lost. Tenzin's journey this season is where the heart is and where most of the highlights this season come from. It's great to see the writers have such fun exploring a character. That is until you realise that they don't seem to have that care for many of the other characters, or, you know, any of them. I enjoyed this season. It gave some great backstory in one very special episode, or over two episodes, was it? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. And while some viewers may think that this explanation is akin to, I don't know, midichlorians, i.e. why do storytellers have to give us a concrete answer to everything, particularly in a world of magic or spirituality, I don't mind it. I found it fascinating. There's a lot of plot to get through this season and it feels bogged down until about halfway through. This is the second time I've watched this season and I found it much better on the rewatch. Cora's strong personality and proclivity for making the worst decisions bothered me the first time watching it. Now I understand that that is her journey. It's a tale of hubris. It's starkly different to Aang's journey and that's okay. She's purposely flawed and that was something I failed to appreciate during the first viewing. She's the child genius that will have to have everything stripped from her 
before she's able to reconcile with her own humanity. Broad? Um, yeah, I, that's just a good point as well. That reaction you had the first time through about mm. Cora just being the fucking worst yeah. <laughs> was a reaction a lot of people had watching Cora the first time as mm. well, was that she kept being a brat and kept making terrible decisions. Yeah. And um, as I'm going to say in my uh, review in a moment, sort of being very Harry Potter fifth year through a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. And that annoyed people. But I, I think it is important that that's the whole point. This is her big flaw is that she really struggles to be independent and fights back against authority and does, makes bad decisions because of that. And that's been a lot of her journey the ho- mm. whole time um, through this series. So, it is weird because you th- feel like... I think the, the biggest problem is as well, series or season one, book one, kind of had an arc, mm. but it got to that arc through it out too quickly because they didn't expect to have more seasons. And so, then you got to sort of go, this is like season two syndrome where it has to go, oh, we're going to re-undo some of what we mm. did previously to make to make sure we've got room to actually tell a story again. So, Cora makes some some mistakes that we thought maybe she was past. And yeah. that's frustrating. I, I think it's hard when you... It's particularly a character with so much privilege and opportunity mm-hmm. and power. Acting like a petulant child yeah. is incredibly hard to swallow. Uh, and I think, like, for the first half of this season, it's, you know, it can be hard to watch and hard to sit through because of that. Yeah, totally. All right. What I'm about to say, I do not say lightly. This <gasps> is my least favourite season of not only Korra, but of the entire Avatar TV <laughs> universe. This is not to say that it's terrible, bad, poor, or even average. It's good. At times, it's absolutely excellent, but ultimately, this is the weakest Avatar slash Korra has ever been. On the positive side, much of what is uh, was said about the production side of Season 1 is true of Season 2. Jeremy Zuckerman's score is still astounding, and generally, design, animation, and act- action is excellent. Mm-hmm. However, things aren't all smooth sailing f- on an aesthetic front. Studio Mir's absence for half of this season is notable. Uh, it's not as bad as I remember it, but the quality of uh, Piero's work is noticeably lesser than Mir's. The most obvious is in faces where lines will be inconsistent or faces just look a bit for lack of a better word, derpy. Mm. But I also find their action to be less exciting and their character animations in general just have less character. There is some real nuance in what Mir delivers and you can feel the details missing from the non-Mir episodes. I wanted mm. to know if you noticed any of this at all. Yeah, I did. You did notice that. Mm-hmm. Did you notice there was did you know there was a difference in the animators at all? Um I didn't remember that yep. when I was watching it, but then I, I noticed that the quality was less, but I didn't realise it was a studio issue. Did you issue. feel like there were episodes that were different to others? Like there would yeah. be a change? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, people I remember watching it the first time and just feeling like there's something wrong with this season. <laughs> and then it gets to the middle yeah. episodes. I just found it like stagnant and less dynamic Correct. to watch. Yeah. And that is true. And it's not always easy to quantify what it is, mm. but there'll be moments and or or it gets more apparent when you go to a studio mirror. Episode. For instance, the two episodes in the middle of the season mm. that you were talking about earlier, and you just go, "The turning point. This is so much better." Mm-hmm. And why is that? Uh, a lot of time is also spent around the Water Tribe, which, while sometimes quite beautiful, can get a little boring and samey with all its—and this will sound silly—blueness. <laughs> that being said, there are some real visual treats this season, as indicated by the title of this book. Spirits and the spirit world get a lot of screen time, but not all spirit designs are super inspiring. Um, but some parts of this sport story are so fun and imaginative, especially during a two-parter in the middle of the season, as we've said before, that you might be mistaken for thinking you're watching a Hayao Miyazaki film. A bowling fight in the back half of the season is also particularly rousing. Don't be surprised if your fists start involuntary pumping the air. Did you say rousing or arousing? 
interesting. Bit of both. Yeah, nice. There is a reasonably interesting story going on here with themes of war, religion, capitalism, governmental responsibility, identity, family, legacy, and individuality. And while we did... It, while we did feel like season one's themes may have been a little under-investigated, the trajectory from the start of the season to the end seemed well and seemed like a fairly consistent and well-travelled one. That wasn't my experience with season two. My biggest criticism this time around is how odd the pacing is. Things start off very slow, finally gets a booster rocket in the middle, has some good momentum through the back half, and then kind of stuffs the landing. <laughs> partly this might be because Team Avatar are a little uh, split up this season, and partly... I wonder if it's a symptom of not originally intending to have a second season and rather than laying some track for this season, the last one have to do a lot of setup in the early episodes and even undo a few things that aren't conducive with a now ongoing story. The writing also felt a little flat and workmanlike at times. I wasn't as entertained or amused as the previous season or especially as The Last Airbender. I'm not sure if that's due to a need for more exposition, new characters that didn't quite work, a fractured core cast, or just lesser writing. I want to be clear. Season 2 of Korra is good. It's better than the vast, vast majority of kids' shows, cartoons, or anime, but it's definitely a few steps behind the best this show can be. Mm. My silver lining for you is this. This is the worst that Cora gets. There are two more seasons, and I promise you, listener, the best is still to come. And that is my thoughts. What beautiful thoughts they were. <laughs> <That's> great. Thanks. <laughs> How would you score this season out of five stars, Damascus? So, like I said, I gave the first season 3.5. Uh-huh. Um, this, this season is fine. It's not great. Yeah, like you said, it's less than all the others. I'm just going to give it a 2.5. Sure. Right down the middle. Yeah. Sure. What about you? I'm still giving it a 3.5. There is a little bias <laughs> in there probably, but I like, I'm just really harsh on it, but. You're not if you're giving it 3.5. No, like I'm, I'm, I like that review I just gave, I felt was very, very harsh. I went over all the negatives a lot. And I think the hard part is a lot of the positives I want to talk about. I think it's I like when a mum's like, spoilers. oh, I shouldn't have yelled at my child and really what she did was like, you're being a naughty boy. Possibly. Yeah. But a lot of the really positive stuff I want to talk about, I can't talk about till spoilers. Mm-hmm. Like particularly this. There, there are two episodes mm. in this season, yeah, back to back, that are like when, two of the best episodes yeah. in all of Avatar, yeah. and that's not nothing. That's like when Cora grows giant horns and wings and flies into the sun. Spoilers? No, that doesn't happen. I just wanted to. I just cocked my head in confusion. <laughs> like you're making a reference to something, and I don't know what it I'm is. No, I'm just talking nonsense. Oh, okay, right. Well, well, mission accomplished. <laughs> Before we dive into spoilers, spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 and 2 of The Legend of Korra. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You You have have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. Cora and the gang are heading south to her hometown for the Winter Solstice Festival. It's also a bit of a family reunion as Cora's uncle Unalok is there with his creepy twins, which coincidentally is what I call my boobs. Tenzin is getting on Cora's nerves because he keeps wanting her to study history and visit ancient sites. Boring. But cool Uncle Unalok wants to show her how to get spirits high. He also keeps telling her how amazing she is and that she's destined for greatness. She chooses him as her new mentor and we all have to watch Tenzin's heartbreak in slow motion. I can't take it. Side note, if an authority figure ever tells you that you are destined for greatness and all you need is their guidance, run. Run far away. They're either going to kill you or take over the world. No one wants to be Hitler's apprentice. Although that is a cool title for a book. Unalok's first lesson is to teach Korra how to fuck everything up. He does this by getting her to open a long-closed spirit portal that unifies both the South and North Pole. As they return home, she discovers that the Northern Water Tribe fleet is just casually invading the Southern Territory. And Korra is slightly worried, but also mostly not, because she refuses to acknowledge that the guy telling her that she's perfect might, in fact, be a dick. Her dad and his friends get arrested for having a meeting about the fact that, you know, they now live in occupied territory. Then they're arrested for trying to kill Unalok, only when her dad is sentenced to life in prison does Cora start to realise her uncle is a tit-punch of a human. Cora and the gang escape the northern forces while her dad stays in the territory to defend his people. Team Avatar plus Varric are determined to get Republic City to help fight the Civil War. When we go back to the city, let's see what happens. Um, Varric creates movers, starting Bolin, that make Triumph of the Will look fair and balanced. Marco investigates a bombing and he suspects Varric of warmongering for profit. Cora doesn't get the answers she wants from President Riker, so she tries to get her friends in the armed forces to act without orders. Marco has a new thing where he doesn't like to lie to authority figures, so he raps her out. And I would be angry with him. But Cora is a fucking douchebag to everyone. Clearly, she learnt a lot from Unalok. Since no one in Republic City will help her, she decides to Jesus walk over the ocean to the Fire Nation. Except a giant spirit bitch slaps her and she gets shot over to some mysterious island that will help her remember her past. But I'm not talking about childhood trauma. I'm talking all the way back to the first Avatar, Wan. He was your typical street rat, stealing bread and hanging out with his best friend, Abu. 
blah, blah, blah. He then learns how to bend fire and hang out with spirits. He then splits up Rava and Vatu, which I guess are the embodiment of light and dark, you know, the stuff that we've seen before. It's a big whoopsie, though. Oh, no. It's up to him to learn all the other elements, merge with Rava, and trap Vatu in a big tree. Cora, bam, suddenly wakes up from this particularly beautiful acid trip and realises that she has to close the portal before harmonic, symphonic, supersonic complergence happens and Vatu takes over the planet. Janora transforms into Yoda as soon as she hits puberty and finds out that if the portals are connected during the tectonic menherbchunts, then Vatu will be free. The big battle happens, Korra gets defeated, and Unalak merges with Vatu to become Nega Avatar. But Korra comes right back at him after she's told to believe in herself. Then she becomes giant and blue. There is a kaiju fight on the shores of Republic City. Korra wins and everyone rejoices. Yay! Also, Marco was right about Varric being dodgy and war profiteering, but you know, who cares because that guy is gosh darn delightful. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Every time you said Cora and the gang, I kept thinking of Cool and the gang. Oh, I mean, they are your favourite band. Absolutely. <laughs> Get down on it. Uh, well, I want to start talking about the pacing. We sort of mentioned the pacing, uh, in particularly in my review. Mm-hmm. So, those first four episodes in particular where they're at the South Pole are so <laughs> fucking <laughs> boring. Yeah. Sleep And sleep I down. just... It's a lot of people standing in rooms and talking. Nobody's being proactive. Stuff is just happening to them or around them most of the time. And that's something that's really annoying with Cora is that she's just letting herself be she's completely manipulated in this letting, scenario. Just seeing terrible things happening and justifying them for no reason that I as a viewer can understand. She's taking a guy at his word when really she's in doing so is telling people that have stood by her entire life and proven themselves time and time again that they mean nothing to her. It's an incredibly frustrating four episodes to watch. Yeah. That just make you go, Cora, fuck you. Yeah, the way she talks to Tenzin and Marco. (laughs) I'll punch her. I will punch her. Um, Though I did enjoy the opening the spirit portal episode two is very cool. Like that whole bit where she's being attacked by like Mm. snake spirits and then she like Touches the thing. I, I, I like that bit quite but a bit. So it's quite scary. A dumb idea, but anyway. Terrible idea, obviously. <laughs> and then things finally kick into gear when we get to Juan's story. Mm-hmm. And what happens there that's so important, I think, is that the stakes are properly understood at that point. Up to this, we've sort of, yeah, there's this war happening in the South and clearly Unilock's bad, but like... Mm. What we just spend a bunch of time in Republic City going, can we go and fight them? No, we can't. God damn. We'll have to figure mm. out how to make sure we can go and fight them. And it's just like, this is nothing. And then you get Cora losing a memory. Weird little story contrivance there. But <laughs> getting to see Juan's backstory, it's interesting you call it a bit midichlorian-y. Because mm. um, I think while, yeah, it risks being like that. I think mm-hmm. this is actually sort of what you were saying as well. It does the thing where it sort of gives as many questions as it gives answers. Like, it doesn't wrap it up in a neat little bow. Do you know what I mean? It shows us how the first Avatar came to be. It's still spiritual in nature. Yeah. Yeah, no, like, my whole argument was that while it can be seen that way, it is not, in fact, that. I agree 100%. And it's like, what it doesn't do is explain that world 100%. Mm -hmm. You sort of thrust into it and, like, this is the way the world was until the Avatar came along. It's like, cool, 
you have all these questions about why was the why was the world like that? Why were humans living on the back of lion turtles? Why was the world separating all that sort of stuff? Yeah. And um I think well in that instance of the story of one, that is great. I think when we get to towards the end when things are happening and you don't understand why they're happening. So that was because the next Because while bit. we get explanations, we also don't get explanations and it just becomes very confusing. So, yeah. And so, I find that after the one thing, we get our stakes, the pace improves mm. quite a lot. All of a sudden, there's more drive, there's more purpose. Corey knows it's going to happen. We understand Yulok's plan a lot better. Things happen. And there's some really good stuff in there for Corrin and for Sakura and some great stuff in there for Tenzin, which we'll get to mm. in a bit. And then, pace-wise, things get weird. It doesn't stick the landing. Tenzin, Kaya, and Boomi are in the spirit world, which does this great thematic stuff, but completely kills the pace when there's like end of the world shit, shit happening um, back in sort of the real world or in, yeah, uh, back with Korra. And then the resolution of the doomsday scenario is a huge, almost deus exy head scratcher, which gets us to an interesting place, but it's like really clunky. Yeah, I think that example of like what's happening with Tenzin and his siblings and the end of the world stuff is really interesting. Because while, yeah, there's like all this stuff's happening and like it's it's bad and the world's got to end, the interesting stuff yeah. is them lost in a fog. Yes. And I was like, okay, there's clearly like a disconnect here of like what is good storytelling and what is just big, bad, boring shit. Which is what we get a lot of. And it is big, bad, boring shit. There's this yeah. kaiju battle, which sounds impressive, but is... Who cares? It's just big things punching each other. Yeah. Um, and you know Corey's going to win. Where's... Yeah. The, 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 well, I don't know. I, I think because it's at that point, even I think in that specific episode, she'd have been like defeated like twice or something. And then mm-hmm. she like has come back and now she's like this big blue thing. At that point, I'm already... Fit- Battle fatigued. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've had I've had enough, and I obviously the score is telling me this is like the big moment or whatever. This is the big battle. Janora descends from the heavens. <laughs> sure, um, <laughs> yeah, because things are just literally popping out of the sky. Like well, clearly, the good guys are going to win. The because there are other stakes, personal stakes for Korra that happen in the last couple of episodes when Rava when uh, Unavatu removes Rava. Sounds such gobbledygook. Yeah. From Cora, right? Mm-hmm. Disconnects. She doesn't. She's not the longer no longer the avatar at that point. Mm-hmm. She's disconnected from the previous avatar, mm. which were was a very big thing for Aang in particular to have that. Yeah. In his journey, right? He had keep talking to um, Avatar, the previous Avatar, Fire One, whose name I can't remember. All of a sudden, Roku, keep talking to. Um, Avatar, Kyoshi, all those sorts of things. Don't look at me for the names. I'm <laughs> useless with them. And like he he would reference them a lot. In fact, at the end of his story, there's a big sequence of him just meditating and talking to like four or five of them mm, or something like that. Yeah. And so she, this is this is taken away from her, and it's huge personal stakes for a massive failure for Korra, who's struggled spiritually already, and then is going to lose her spiritual connection. A, the Avatar's gone, but B, loses her spiritual connection to her um, previous lives. And then they put her in a tree and she astral projects this big blue kaiju version of her. And you're like, huh? Like- well, that's the thing is that if the story then is this avatar who literally punches her way through every situation. Yes. The journey then is for her to connect spiritually and see how that is just an, as much as the physical side of it, an important resource and a part of what the avatar is, which mm-hmm. is what we learn 
through uh, Juan's story. Um, so for her spirituality to literally transform <laughs> into a giant punching machine, <laughs> so that message gets a little murky. You know what I'm saying? That, even just the mechanics of it. It's like I think thematically you can look at it and you you know get a sense of what's going on or what's trying to be said here. Avat- uh, Cora having to sort of spirit bend her own spirit. You know, she doesn't have the avatar power anymore, but there's more power within her, all those sorts of things. We can make something of that. They're going to need more than 10 minutes to grasp that. Sure. But yeah. But I've always just been like, the avatar world has been so good at like having clear set rules for things. Yeah. The spirit world, notwithstanding, which can be a little bit murky at times. And things are inconsistent. It's a spirit world, right? Yeah. But generally, when it comes to like uh, a person's abilities and powers, especially as benders and stuff like that, there are there is a reasonable explanation and set of rules for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't understand what's happening here. Someone must have explained this at some point, though. And I go looking, and I deliberately listen to the audio commentaries for this specific episode. And the creators, Bryke, are just like, yeah, listen, we're not 100% sure what's happening here either. Thematically, it works, but like, I've heard some different explanations and whatever, choose the one that suits you. I'm like, no. okay, <laughs> sure, I, I guess I'll just stop. I'll, I'll, I'll stop fretting about this now because otherwise it's going to annoy me forever. But that's a, you've done such a good job of being consistent up until now. Mm. It sucks that they had to like, to just, try and cheat it at the end there? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I understand that they didn't expect to get a second season. Sure. That isn't a reason for this season to be so full of nonsense, I guess. <laughs> of nonsense. Of just like, wait, what? 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 Particularly in like the last couple of episodes, particularly in the last episode. The last episode is a lot of it. Um. Yeah, I don't understand why they couldn't, you know, have another fully formed story leading into season three and four that was a lot more coherent than what we actually got. Yeah, I, I don't think there is any particular reason. I've got excuses in mind, particularly that they sort of had to scramble to make a story out of what was already a concluded arc for a lot of these characters. Mm. Um, and what they end up doing is sort of giving a lot of that to Tenzin and going, well, Tenzin's a character who could do with some examination and they've got to retroactively undo a lot of Cora's growth and then have it happen again. Anyway. Yeah. That's the best I've got. Again, here's the thing. It pays off. Season three is so good. We're going to get there one day. (laughs) Um, I want to ask just about the spirit world though. Mm. How we spend a lot of time with spirits this season and we've had them feature in bits and pieces along the way, particularly Mm -hmm. in Avatar. With so much time around spirits and in the spirit world and stuff, how do you feel about them? Do you like it? Do you like the look and the feel of it? Does it bother you at all? I love the look of it. Mm. Um, and, I yeah, I think it's a great plot device. Do I love spirits? No. Mm. Um, but I I love what it can represent. I love that we got Iroh because of it. Yeah. Um, I, love, I love the journey that little Cora takes. That's spoiler alert. I apart think, you know, from apart from the middle one episodes, that's the first. Basically, that and the rest of the season mm-hmm. are studio mirror blocks, and you can tell. Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, yeah. So I, I think I think it's a great storytelling device, but I'm not like in love with it. There's a reason I've never really been in love with Studio Ghibli stuff is because sure. a lot of that spirit stuff I don't understand and. F- Na- like narratively, I don't know what to connect to in it. Um, sure. 
It's a little too weird for me. I mean, as a child, I hated Alice in Wonderland because it was too weird. So you like right. this is just like oh, this is well, this is nonsense kind of stuff. But um, little Miss Rational over here. Yeah, no, I, I was a fun kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you were a Christian at the time. I don't know how you dealt with that. Well, that was real, Brod. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Thank you very much. None of that didn't make sense at all. All of, all of that perfectly logical. I mean, it's in the Bible, so I think we know it's fact. <laughs> don't question it. That's right. Sure. That's that's it. Don't question. <laughs> um, yeah. So no, I, I, it was fine, but I'm not in love with it. What are your feelings about the spirit world? I, I think early on, especially the spirits that are sort of coming into the real world, these just purple blobs yeah. and do nothing for me. The stuff with one. It's fantastic. There's oh, some real I like great the one that calls him Stinky. The one that calls him Stinky is great. I really like him. I like the Carrot Man. There's a Carrot Man that reminds <laughs> me of like, there's an episode of Winnie the Pooh, uh, the cartoon where um, I think it's Tigger gets stuck in like a, a giant monster carrot costume and scares the shit oh, out of Piglet. That. It's I had terrifying. the video. It is terrifying. Yeah. And there's a, there's a spirit that looks just like that. I love right. that. Now, there's a lot of fun stuff in there. The, um, the cat antlered deer thing that Juan has is cool mm. too. There's some good stuff in that, definitely. The Iro episode in particular is very Alice in Wonderland-y. You've got like the little mole things that like cause a funnel, like yeah. a vortex to occur, <laughs> and then the two-headed frog thing that's getting married to each other. So much fun stuff going on there. Um, I think Vatu and Rava, as interesting as they are as concepts in a way, their designs are so weak. You hate it. I hate their designs. These like it's a purple and a blue kite. I don't understand. Like I when they're like wrestling each other and they're sort of making that yin yang symbol. I'm mm. like, okay, cool. We've done this before in season one of Avatar, but whatever. Um, I get, I get it. That's a. I see the symbolism there. Once they're separated, make them a little more interesting to look at than a faceless white sheet. That does yeah. nothing for me. Yeah. No. Fair enough. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't care about either of them. Even as concepts, I find it quite dull. It, it it is it is the stuff of mythology, though, right? Yeah. It's like their motives are like that's just death. That's just the universe has set them in motion, mm-hmm. and these are two constants that are fighting against each other forever. They have no personality. They they're have boring. No, they, they are boring. <laughs> they're only interesting once they come into contact with a human being. In Juan's case, or the Avatar in general, from then on. I do love that we got to see Wanchi Tan's library again, though. Yeah, because I fucking so love Wanchi Tan. Oh, I love the thing about the radio. Yes. Oh my god. Clearly, I've been told <laughs> mis- fed him misinformation about tiny people in boxes. And that little fox just yeah. real sad walks away. <laughs> Very good. I think that was my favorite line of the entire series. It yeah. is. It is great. It's great delivery as well. Uh, Hector Eliz- Elizondo is mm-hmm. the name of the actor who does his voice. He's great. And that was Greg Baldwin also as Iro, who was the second voice of yeah, Iro once Marco died. Yeah. yeah. He, he was the one that finished off season three of yeah. Avatar as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Korra then. Um, Cora going through a real Harry Potter 50th stage, as we said. He's a real... How do you feel about her and Marco? Just as a concept, Macora. Um, Cora doesn't deserve him. She's a fucking asshole. She's so mean to him. She doesn't want to be in a relationship, clearly. Okay, so here's the thing with Cora, though. Mm-hmm. Is that she has such a black and white viewpoint. Yes. She is right because she's the Avatar. Mm-hmm. She's the strongest and the smartest because she is the Avatar. And so if someone has the gall to be like, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Or just even say it's more complicated than that. She explodes. 
Because when you have a black and white viewpoint, you are setting yourself up to fail and to be frustrated because that's not what the world is. The world is not black and white. Mm. So if you are constantly like projecting that on the world and being disappointed by either the people in your life or the things that are occurring, you're going to like spiral it into a rage. It's just awful because she's the avatar and like all powerful. She's an asshole. Yeah. I mean, this is a big part of her challenge as the avatar, right? There is this burden on her shoulders mm-hmm. because she's such an important person. She's also so young. Yeah, People have expectations. She has a role to play. When mm-hmm. things are more complicated than they she wants them to be, well, then she's going to rally against that because she wants them to be simple because it makes her job that much easier. Meanwhile, people are trying to take advantage of her as well because she is so young. She's trying to navigate like people who are trying to help her and people that tell her that they're trying to help her but are really trying to mm. use her for their own means. And like if you want to talk about what Cora's journey is, this is setting it up right here. This is her figuring out that yes... The world is a very complex place. Yeah. And being the avatar is going to be a lot of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. There are no easy or simple answers and you will never make everybody happy. Yeah. And also just like because when we first, well, you know, the what we know of Cora is that she has been told that she's great from a very young age. Mm-hmm. She has been coddled. She has had every resource in the world. She's powerful. But she's so emotionally stunted. Like, well, she's had a lot of great guidance. Clearly, her spiritual teachings and emotional teachings uh, were put on the back burner. Yes. Um, I mean, that's, it's said in the very first episode is that, like, the spiritual side of things is not working. Yeah. Go to Tenzin. Yeah. Tenzin's the guy. Except Tenzin isn't the guy. We'll get to that later. Yeah. It's just, like, it's it's pure ego yeah. being fed by her own expectations and her kind of figuring out that she isn't the strongest all the time. She isn't always the bravest. And, you know, things don't work out in her favour all the time. And I think, like, that's going to be a consistent struggle for her and realising that she has these huge blind spots that she has refused to acknowledge and those around her her have not pointed out for her entire life um, except for really when we have come to know her in the seasons. So she's got this, yeah, awful, let's be honest, awful personality. She's she's a rich kid. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to do whatever I want. You're wrong, bitch. Look. She didn't even understand the concept of money when she first arrived in public yeah. city. Like, she's just like, I can just take this stuff, right? It's like, yeah. no, no, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, it's the thing that's going to be an interesting journey. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting as well that in the first season, the big thing about Aman, right, was like this fear of what happens to her yeah. if she has her bending taken away, right? And that's yeah. her identity. She loses her identity. She's built up her entire self-worth around her being powerful. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was very interesting as well that this is still absolutely a problem for her. She hasn't got past that even though Aman's gone. Um, when she goes into the spirit world for the first time with Janora, she doesn't have bending. And things spiral out of control and she reverts back to a tiny baby Cora. Yeah. And I love that representation of just like this is still a massive deal for her. Like yeah. this is her this is her vulnerability right here. Yeah. She is she is a petulant child. She has she's emotionally stunted. Mm. She is an emotional child. Um and she's, you know, she's gonna have tantrums and she has to deal with that. She has to find balance emotionally as well as physically. She also has to find an identity beyond as the avatar. The title. Yeah. Beyond the title, right? Yeah. And this is what's interesting about the way the season ends, I think, is because uh, she's lost her connection to the other 
her previous lives, mm. which I says is a huge change for any avatar for a long time now. She's going to have to f- really figure out what that means, what mm. avatar or who avatar Cora is. I really like that setup at the end of this season. To get to that point, clunky as it was to get there, mm. to say, well, this is a new world. She makes a massive decision to keep the spirit portal mm. open at the end as well. And now is going to have to face those consequences and um, yeah, really figure out what it means to be Avatar Korra without anybody else's, without her past lives. I think it's a very interesting place as well. It It's an interesting challenge because she already feels like she disconnects herself from other people so much. So to disconnect herself from her past lives mm. just feels like why would, surely she needs to learn to, like the whole thing has always been, I can't talk to Aang or in season one in particular, I can't talk to my previous lives. Now she doesn't even have an opportunity to learn. She's just, it's gone. I don't know. It's an interesting challenge for her. Feels like it's made things harder. She's she's getting yeah, worse, no, not just, better I'm in some ways. I'm thinking over what you've just said. That yeah, that, no, that is interesting because yeah, disconnection is a problem for her because yeah. she thinks she is better than everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like just with the people physically around her. Um, whereas I think you know with Cora, she does. She's got this weird thing of both an inferiority complex and a superiority complex. Totally. And I think with. I think Buffy uh, had that as well. They've got similarities yes. there. <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Um, with, yeah, her past lives, I'm sure she had an inferiority complex mm-hmm. that she had to deal with. And oh, so, with Aang, the giant statue yeah. in Republic City, there's <laughs> look what he did. Yeah. The guy who ended the Hundred Year War and brought yeah. prosperity to the world. Yeah, mm. fucking oath. Yeah. So I think in finding connections with the people physically around her, she's able to get rid of that superiority complex. And I think by detaching to her past lives, she's able to get rid of that inferiority complex or at least like ease those shouting voices in her mind so that she can find balance within herself as well, which mm. I think would be good. Mm. Uh, what would you like to talk about, Damask? Oh, God, I want to talk about Tenzin. Yeah, let's talk about Tenzin. Yay! Um, I love Tenzin's stuff this season. I can understand why people be like, oh, it's getting in the way of pacing or whatever. I... I mean, whenever I was hanging out with him and his siblings or just his family, I was having a good time. I I, I love his insecurity yeah. because he is like this, you know, this mentor, this huge figure that is meant to be so knowledgeable of all the things that Cora is not or really like a lot of people are not. I mean, he is the shining light of this lost civilization. That's a huge amount of pressure to put on one person and I think this season we really see how much pressure that is and I love that while he is this spiritual leader Tenzin is not intuitive (laughs) he has always and I think I love oh particularly in the fog when he sees Aang and stuff but he's always seen that element of him as a flaw or failing Aang or what Aang represented but what saves him is his book smarts. Like he's a nerd. He's not this great spiritual connected to everything. He's just a nerd and he just loves the culture and he loves the history. And that the book smarts and his cool head is ultimately what saves him and his siblings in the fog, which I love. There's a lot to digest about what you said. I'm going to approach it bit by bit here. Um, first of all, I just want to say when you talk about like how fascinating it is to look at Tenzin, right? Mm. It's like... This is why I'd be interested in seeing an Obi-Wan movie, right? You know how we've sort of had the prequels? Mm-hmm. 
Obi-Wan has a bit of a journey there and there's a massive failure and then we just jump into Obi-Wan and he's wise old mage and he helps Luke and then he dies, right? And it's like the idea that there might be an Obi-Wan story in the middle where he's like struggling with the fact that the Jedi have fallen the mm-hmm. and like I would want to see what 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 was happening to him in that point, his yeah. lowest moment when I'd be fascinated to see that story. And there's a little bit of what that going on with Tenzin in this, where we go get to look at the old wise mage and go, so what's really going on inside your head, though? Mm. What 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 are your problems and insecurities? And so this is a season that has a lot to do with about family, Cora and her relationship with her fa- father and her uncle are a big part of it. Tenzin is very much about him and his father, too. His siblings as well. But through his siblings, we learn a lot about Tenzin's sort of insecurities. Mm. The relationship he had with his dad was very different to the relationship that Aang had with his brother and sister. Which also, the idea that Aang was a bad dad is a fascinating one. Mm -hmm. I think people... One that some people don't like the idea of. But I think helps humanize and understand what Aang was like as a grown-up. Because we'll never get to really see that, likely. Yeah. I believe that... He, he would have had such a burden on his shoulders yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so, I really like that. I love, um, yeah, his feelings of failure or the, the constant feeling that he has to live up to his dad's legacy. Same thing Cora has. Mm. They are both trying to live up to the legacy of Aang. And then finding out that as much as he's Mr. Spiritual, he's never been to the spirit world. That is so... That episode is the last of um, Piero's episode, episodes. And it is, it's their best work by far. And it's the best tens and stuff. It's so good. Mm. Him, that constant, uh, just moving location, kind of excuses for why we're doing it wrong. Well, we're doing yeah. it wrong. <laughs> you're breathing too loudly. Or yeah. if you just would stop asking me, it's like, and then having to give way and let Janora take the reins. Yeah. Oh, man. He's so good. Uh, what's the name of the actor that plays him? S- Simmons? Yeah, J.K. Simmons. Thank you. He is great as Tenzin. Mm. I love yeah, all that Yeah, he's incredible. And then he has to do the same thing that Cora has to do. He has to learn to be his own person. He has to re- he has to figure out who Tenzin is mm. and stop trying to be Aang. I love all of that. I lo- the Probably one of my favorite Tenzin moments emotionally that hit me the hardest was when Cora comes back to the spirit world, but Janora doesn't come back with her. And he's just like, his distress. That's was- actually in my, my my notes at the end of this episode. It's so yeah. heartbreaking. You can hear that just utter fear. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Terrifying. You never want to see Papa scared. No. You never want to see Papa scared because then you know it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's full on. I also love like his relationship with his siblings that we see, obviously, you know, when you're hanging out with family and you just revert back to, like, childhood you. Totally. Like, it's a great demonstration of, you know, his insecurities do stem from childhood. Yeah. And that, like, you know, you don't, you know, he's stoic and he's dignified, but he does have that element of being an insecure child, which then mirrors what we see of Cora in the spirit world. It's like, yeah, a lot of the flaws that we have as, like, fully grown people they come from like a real place as children. Mm-hmm. Like they are learned behaviors and it's just about unlearning them or looking at them and finding the cause and then dealing with that. I, I just love all three siblings mm. have interesting relationships to each other. Yeah. Like the way that Tenzin and Kaya, you know, Boomy feels 
insecure because yeah. he's a non-bender. Yeah. You know, even though he's got so much of that like childish goofiness that Aang had, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much of his of Aang in him in that sense. And they're just like, you know, hand wave his problems away. And then with Tenzin, and they both accuse him of just, oh, classic airbender, just, you know, cut and run, <laughs> which is what he has probably done his entire life, either avoided mm-hmm. it or been immune to it because while he was under daddy's wing, he didn't really see how much this is hurting Kaya and Boomy. It's like, yeah. oh, man, there's yeah. some great stuff in there. This is the beauty of this show is that depth is there. It's just, unfortunately, this season only taps into it occasionally. Yeah, and I think that that's when I was talking about my spoiler for review is like those moments are so great that then when you realise how little work is done character-wise or sometimes to the detriment the work that has been done to other characters mm. is really kind of shocking when we know how good like these creators and creative teams are. So when we look at characters like Bolin mm-hmm. who is um, – somehow a walking, talking human vegetable <laughs> bumping into walls. <laughs> um, when we have Asami, who doesn't have a whole lot to do this season. Um, Asami is fucking wasted this yeah, season. It's a real shame. It's, yeah. It's- Completely wasted this season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's a shame. Let's get onto those three in a moment. I just want the last thing I want to say about the Tenzin thing. The other mm-hmm. the thing that was frustrating though, about the Tenzin stuff, was that he's artificially removed from Korra's storyline. Mm. And so, it's such relief when she comes back and, like, she has a reconciliation with him. And yeah. then you move forward, the two of them together, because they have similar problems. And it's really good to mm-hmm. see them sort of both growing together. And when they're just sort of separated for half a season and they've got... Yeah, he's having fun stuff with Kaya and Boomy and his kids. But it just it's, it's so disconnected. as Why to be better fr- in Buffy as- when Giles is around? You know, you need that dynamic. Totally. Mm. Totally. You're 100% right. Even if the best season might be the one where he disappears for half I of it. I know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> isn't that weird? That's because it's got some fucking great episodes. So, they, they didn't waste their episodes. That's true. That season They Buffy. definitely didn't. They used that loss of a mentor to propel the story. My relationship with season six is so weird as Buffy. Totally off topic. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's talk about the rest of Team Avatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cora and the gang. Let's talk about the gang part. Uh, Marco. Becomes a cop. Mm-hmm. He does. Sure. Doing investigation. Very quick. Very quick. I like I like him, his little investigation. So there's a moment where he connects that they're using the remotes to control the explosions on the film set mm-hmm. to the remote from the thing. And yeah. the way that's executed is actually quite cool. Mm. Like, oh, that, that, that moment worked. Yeah, there's certainly moments that work. And I like the concept of Marco being a cop. Yes. Sure. But, like, there's so many fucking different threads going on. Am I really going to care about that one? Probably not. You said that Cora doesn't deserve Marco. Mm. How do you feel about, like, what happens between Marco and Asami? <laughs> or, no, okay, let's go take a step back. They have a massive fight. Yeah. Marco breaks up with Cora. Yeah. She fair. leaves. Fair breakup. Yeah. yeah, fair breakup. It had to happen. And it's so abusive to like your partner's done something wrong. You go to their workplace, have a hissy fit, yeah. and violently smash a desk in the police department. Yeah. It's like, bitch, you abusive. We done. Speaking of Lena's wasted this season as well. Ugh. <laughs> Off topic. Um, and just make her a bad cop anyway. They do, yeah. They, she's just ignorant to what's going yeah, on. Yeah, so dumb. Um, mm. 
Before that, though, it is interesting that he does snitch on Cora. That wasn't cool, Marco. No, but she's doing the wrong thing. Um, and he's a police officer. He's taken an oath. What I find weird about that is that she went and spoke to General Iroh mm-hmm. and was like, hey, do you want to go to war? And he's like, I want to go to yeah. war. Oh, well, like, why not? I was <laughs> heading that way anyway. So like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, I want to put all my people. You've dedicated your entire life to serving this army. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Now, like, what is it? Your, not ancestor past life yeah and my like grandpappy were friends sure why not i'll abandon the life i've created bye it's, it doesn't make any sense no he was gonna take his men like he the whole idea was he's gonna like i'm just gonna maneuver them over there so we get caught up in this conflict and we have to engage which to me is crazier it's like yeah i'll guess i'll just put my my men's lives at danger at a whim like but he's like craziness he also another person like i'm assuming made some type of oath to his city. Yes. You can't engage in a war that you know your leader actively does not want to be a part of. It doesn't make any sense. Though, when they get after the whole thing with the um, the film premiere mm. and like, and he's still like, yeah, no, nah, we're still not going. It's like, they just, the end of the world. <laughs> they literally talked about like total destruction of the earth. He's still like, nah, we'll just stay here. You're an idiot. But also, I don't know. It seems, what the fuck are but they going to do? This, but this is the problem. It's just like, there's so much... Like, people have to conveniently be like, just, a, I don't know, it's it's convoluted. Yeah, people either have to be like, yes or no. And it really has nothing to do with who they are or where they're placed yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just to make sure the story moves forward, mm. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, then, yeah, they break up. And then Cora loses her memory. And while she's away, <laughs> Marco hooks up with Asami again, mm-hmm. who, who's extremely vulnerable at this point. Mm-hmm. And Marco's just like, yeah, we'll just do this. And then Cora comes back and doesn't remember they had broke up. And he's like... Yeah, whatevs. Uh, we're fine. And Asami is just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I think Asami's also like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, She's, totally. I mean, that look that she gives totally. him is just like, oh, you are pathetic. But I am more pathetic that this has <laughs> happened again. Yeah, she's very disappointed in the whole thing. Ugh. Oh, man, he's just I mean, such he's, a sleazeball. He's just weak, really. I, I love Bolin enjoying... Uh, like Marco's agony though, <laughs> where he just like slides into frame, just like. <laughs> I love shots like that. They always get me every time. <laughs> um, I think the bit where Marco and Asami go to work with the triple threats mm. to, is the dumbest fucking thing ever. It's so conv- like not convoluted. It's so forced that they would trust gangs <laughs> to help them. Oh, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. It's so I stupid. I don't even care about that episode, but yeah. That is possibly the worst episode. Anyway, it was on my list of possibly the worst episode. Mm. Uh, bowl in. Girl problems. Falls in love with a f- psycho and that's I a problem. Roll. Yeah. Can I just say, I don't like the twins. Neither do I. I don't like, I don't them, like them at all. And I like I like Aubrey Plaza, but I do not like the twins. No. They're, they're nothing. They're, they're nothing. I don't like the voice performances. I don't like their function in the story. I oh, don't like it. Their function in the story is terrible. Yes. Like, we're the minions of our dad and we're also a couple of weird psychos. I don't know. And also love interest for Bolin. It's stupid. <laughs> it is. doesn't work at all. Agreed. Uh, and also Bolin becomes a movie star. Now, this, I as much as he's an idiot, as much as we can... I enjoy this stuff. I love the movies. Star. The movies is great. The movies is quite enjoyable. 
But I just like, I wish, oh, one thing that really bothered me about Berlin is when Marco was in prison yeah, and he's just like, oh, well, sucks to be you. I'm going to a premiere. I'm like, that's your brother who like you lived on the streets with. What are you doing? Yeah, it didn't make much sense to me at all. Yeah, this is this is one of the other reasons that this season just goes down as like the black sheep of the family. Because stuff like this is happening and like, that doesn't make sense that Bolin would feel this way about or yeah. treat Marco like this. It's so... Happened so quickly is so forced. Yeah. yeah, Like, it's great that he gets past it and they get to be brothers again. They get to fight together again, and which is always, like, the mm-hmm. last two episodes, there's too much fighting going on. But I always love their dynamic when they work together. It They yeah. just feel like they know each other so well. Yeah, they they feel work like brothers. in unison. They great. feel like brothers. And so to artificially pull them apart like that in a completely unbelievable way mm. sucks. Yeah, it's a shame. But the movies are great. Pabu or Juji's laser eyes is the best. <laughs> Nook, no. <laughs> fantastic. I just, the movers are genuinely hilarious. They are fantastic. Yeah. Um, I love, 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 love the scene where the northern or the southern water tribe people, northern water tribe people, whatever it is, the Varric set them up to kidnap the um, president. president. Yeah. And... Bolin figures it out mm-hmm. and then starts attacking them because they're showing the movie in Oh, the... it's like matching in the, during the fight. Fuck yeah, that's great. It's amazing. So good. When he does this move, he, first of all, he just rips his sleeves off. <laughs> which is so cool. Which is so cool. <laughs> and then he does this bit where he's like, he's fighting back and he, he pounds the ground and like brings up these huge stacks of earthbending discs. Mm. It lo- and then he starts like punching them from the st- like first he uses them a shield and then punches them at the other one. Fuck, it's so cool. Bolin is real sexy, by the way. <laughs> like I, I, it's I stand by my statement from our season one review. I don't get why the ladies are going crazy for Marco. No, Bolin no. is fucking sexy. He's ripped <laughs> and he's punching fucking bricks into people's <laughs> faces. Oh yeah. I, I think that scene, that scene's the best. And the way the music works and the way it is synced up with the movie mm. is very, very cool. And yeah. just a fun... It's great when they can keep doing inventive stuff. We've seen so much bending at this stage. Mm. But to keep it inventive, like that's interesting. One bit I did want to talk about, though, that's a Ooh. bit but weird with Bolin. There's a moment where he kisses Ginger during a scene, but that wasn't scripted to happen. He kind of, like, forces right. himself on Ginger. It's a little bit gross, Bolin. Yeah. I mean, in this era... Naughty, naughty. Yeah. Inappropriate behavior. Yeah. I'm sure they'll cut that out in future Blu-ray releases or <laughs> digital releases. But I also like that the, that he does this and then the criticism coming from Varric is like, why would he kiss her? Like, a bunch of bad shit's happening. And he's like, no, that's better. And it reminded me in Man of Steel when that happens. It actually happens in Aquaman as well. There's mm. a kiss that happens while there's literally a war going on and <laughs> thousands of people are dying around them. And it looks pretty because the explosions in the background. But yeah. you're also like... Why is this happening Guys, <laughs> there is like thousands of dead people around you right now. Why are you doing this? Uh, Asami. Who? <laughs> She's that business lady who's got like a headache all the time because <sighs> financials suck. Oh, God. And her stuff is gone. Another older man in her life took all her shit, um, ruined her business, lied to her. Her ex-boyfriend's uh, back in the picture and then is like two-timing her with uh, his ex-girl, other ex-girlfriend yeah. who's also your friend. I do like her friendship with Bolin, I guess. Um, There's that little bit, yeah, where they're out on like the outside, the bending arena. Yeah, I thought that was real cute. That is cute. Um, There's yeah, a bit to start with Bolin, it's good too. Yeah. Not a whole lot to talk about there, Brod. <laughs> She's still really fucking beautiful. And every time she turns up on screen, I go, 
Just like that. Her winter look is particularly good. It's like she's got this great <sighs> coat when she's in the Southern Water Tribe. I just, I really want to see her naked so badly. Um, I'm sure you can find online if you look hard enough. No, but what I hate about those, of course, I've looked it up. What I hate, <laughs> what I hate about those pictures is they always give them those stupid, like, huge anime boobs. Oh. I want, give me just a Sami looking like a Sami, and I just happen to see her boobies. Request uh, for our <laughs> listeners if you can find some just normal looking booby Sami pictures. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the artwork is good. I she want, wants it in the style, right? Yeah, this I want it to be in authentic. the style with a natural woman's body. <laughs> <laughs> Look, and like, okay, in this picture, we're scissoring. No, don't go that far because I don't want you drawing me scissoring. But no, just beautiful, beautiful Sami boobies. Thank you. Um, she literally, like in the first four episodes, they are all together, team Avatar, and mm-hmm. she just disappears for two episodes. <sighs> and then she flies a plane and disappears when all the action starts to happen at the end. Moving along. <laughs> talked about tens and that's fine. I do love it when she drives stuff though. Oh, her driving stuff is always great. Oh, it does something to like me. Like she's driving yeah. the plane. That mm-hmm. bit's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Piloting the plane, I guess. I would talk really about planes. her like huge brain and personality, except it doesn't exist. So that's why does I'm talking about exist. how beautiful she is. Yeah. And sure. also because I am actively objectifying her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've talked a bit about one. Um, I did just want to talk about how. What about two? <laughs> Nailed it. That was pretty good. Thank you. Comes at a very crucial time in the season. Really Mm. jump starts things. We've already said that. I just want to talk about how beautifully animated that is. Not just because Studio Mir is doing it, but like the wood painting style Mm -hmm. they're using is fucking gorgeous. Mixed with a bit of Studio Ghibli. The bit with like Rava, little Rava gets put in the teapot. It's such like a beautiful like fable or mythological like touch you know the sort of thing you'd read about like a greek myth or mm. i love that that's the thing i, I enjoy it because it genuinely feels like an old school myth like an ancient myth yeah it does that's like. exactly what it mm. feels like and i love that yeah it does it avoids being the midichlorians or the hogwarts students shitting themselves stuff that's great shitting themselves oh didn't you hear about that over the break no there was a Pottermore thing right yeah. about how before the 18th century, Hogwarts didn't have muggle plumbing. So, what students would just do is shit themselves <laughs> and then disappear it away with their magic. And that is now canon in Harry Potter. Congratulations. <laughs> you are now worse off because you know this information. Oh, J.K. Rowling can literally do whatever she wants. She can shit on her own work and does. Fabulous. Are, wait, are you, are you applauding this? Are you championing this? No, of course I'm oh, not. Good. She needs to terrible. stop. She needs to stop. But um, also, it is her work. She can do whatever she wants with it. I also like the with the one story. He's the cause of a lot of the problems here. He is manipulated by Vatu to release Ra- him mm-hmm. from Rava. Very Sounds similar. Familiar, cool. Yeah, some parallels there, which are pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, and I'm. So it's amazing how over just two episodes, I am completely there for the final battle. Like. The stuff that's going with Rava and Juan, I believe they've built this relationship over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I believe the like, I've got to leave you, otherwise you're going to die. When they finally join together, that's a, and you hear that Avatar theme kick in. It's just such a yeah. great moment. And then you even have the bit at the end where he's dying. He's like, I'm sorry I didn't get to I love fix that the world. Yeah. He's like, don't worry, I'll be with you in your next life. Beautiful. Beautiful sentiment. I could watch- And bring so much more meaning to those past lives being connected. And, totally. Yeah, it's- Wonderful. Yeah. I could watch an entire season just about one. Yeah. Like, you could totally do that and it would yeah. work great. I think that's why it's such a shame that the final battle of this season between our protagonists doesn't have that effect mm-hmm. at all. And we've had 
minus those two, what, 12 episodes to do to do that, mm-hmm. to really connect with her story and it doesn't happen. Do you have any thoughts about Unalok? No. <laughs> the- Boring? Um, clearly evil from day dot, so he's not a particularly interesting antagonist, I guess, if that's what we want to call him, because there's a couple. I guess no, I guess he's the main one. Yeah. He is it's him yeah. and Vatu, really. Yeah. I mean you could say Varric as well to some degree, but we'll talk about him in a moment. He's I love him concept. too much to call him that. We'll talk about him in a moment. <laughs> the he's interesting in terms of how he does some of his manipulation. The whole thing from the beginning is a theatrical setup when they're attacked by spirits at the winter Bullshit. solstice. Like all of mm. that is his doing to create a a problem that needs solving. Yeah. So he's pretty clever in how he makes that all work. It's interesting the way he talks to the Avatar. This is my... The biggest bullshit he ever says is this one here. As the Avatar, you must remain neutral in this conflict. That is some straight up bullshit. That doesn't make any sense. The idea that the Avatar has to be neutral and just go, you're both okay. You yeah. We just sort it out yourselves is utter rubbish. And also, wouldn't Korra have been training her entire life to understand that that's literally the opposite of her job? I think that's possible, but like... She had a complex situation last time where both sides had legitimate complaints about what was going on between the non-benders and the benders and stuff like Mm. that. And that was being manipulated by two other people for their own gain. So that's where it got murky for her. Even just the idea of, I think she's so young, trying to figure out what it really means to be the Avatar, what it means to bring balance to the world and stuff like that. That someone saying you need to be neutral might make sense as to some degree. And a good defense to someone who doesn't quite understand what their role is yet but is straight up bullshit. Yeah. Um, it's I, a lie. I also think the idea of a dark avatar, what kind of, like who hasn't just seen like the master is the bad version of the doctor or like the Joker is the bad version, you know, or Batman mm. or whatever. The dark avatar is an interesting idea. Will there be a dark? So I want to know at the end of this, when Unavatu is killed mm-hmm. or defeated, are we going, uh, is he going to be reincarnated? Is the Dark Avatar going to continue? Hmm. Like like the Avatar is? It's a good question. I wondered that. I thought that would be interesting if we ever got to see like the next life of the Avatar, whether... Because Vatu can't be killed, right? Isn't that the whole thing? But much like Rava, Vatu yeah, will... They have to continue on. ...will exist again. So that means he... Because he was vanquished. Mm-hmm. But- not, not only was... Unalok killed though. Va- Vatu was killed, so therefore Vatu is inside Rava. So this now. is different to when, say, Wan died, where Wan's yeah. physical body died, but Rava sort of does that weird like yeah. whisper she out. She left and went to the next the life. The next life. Yeah. So we don't necessarily think that that's what. No. So now Vatu would exist within, and we'll just grow within Rava. And I think again. in a thousand years he will come out and they will start fighting again. Okay. I think is what happened. Ten thousand years might have even been. It was a long time. Oh yeah. Bit uh, of a while. Varric, the best new character. So good. By a mile. I don't know. I kind of found him to be the most interesting villain, I think, because he is charismatic and where Unalok doesn't work for me because he's manipulating Korra in such an obvious way and Mm -hmm. everyone in the world is going, "Uh, the worst, the worst person in the world. Varric is very charming, Mm -hmm. rich, powerful, seeming to be fighting on the right side. Mm -hmm. And while, yes, he is like war profiteering, which is terrible, he's also wanting the right side to win. Mm -hmm. He wants his people to be free. So there's complexity there. And he's just funny. And we get Julie. I love him. I think he's a great villain. He's he's just a great character overall. He is, as you said. And the voice acting is 
incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, great work there. He's yeah, great design. Animation on him is excellent. Everything about him works. His idea storm where he like has chili <laughs> and hangs upside down just starts pink tea or whatever it was and all those sorts of things yeah. is great. Um, Julie, do the Julie, do the thing every time. Always great. I love Julie. Um, when he Marcos figured it out mm. and he's in the office of the Sami, Sami's just signed over Future Industries to Varric, and he just turns around. That is such a great menacing moment. Mm-hmm. Like, really, really well executed. I yeah. love that moment. And he's got this bit later on where he's talking to Marco. It's like, I think that you know that I know that you know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and just like his turns yeah. of phrases and stuff like that are always fantastic. And I just love when, yeah, he gets, he kidnaps Marco or whatever. And Marco turns up and there's like coals on the floor. He's like, torture me all you want. He's like, oh, no, I'm just trying to get rid of these bunions. Oh, ah, ee, ah. <laughs> it's just good stuff. It is great stuff. And then it's interesting, in contrast to Varric, as you said, he's much more successful as a villain in terms of you believe his, um, mm. you believe his manipulation, those yeah. sorts of things. He's so much more charming and sort You're invested. Of, it's complex. Yeah. Just also, if Varric's motivations are, seem to be religious in nature, to Varys? some degree. You mean Unalok? Sorry, Unalok seemed yeah. to be re- religious in nature to some degree until you find out that he's just sort of power hungry and mm. crazy. Varric's sort of being like the capitalistic mm-hmm. opposite of that. He is just motivated by profit. Yes, he does want the South to win, but he always wants to make sure he's getting a buck out at the same time. Yeah. I like that they are both theatrical as well. Unalok has used the theatrics of the spirits attacking to get Kor on his side. Uh, Varric is going to use, you know, the mm. attacks on the city to get Raikou on his side and all yeah. those sorts of things. I uh, and to persuade the public and the whole idea of how propaganda works and those sorts of things. I love that. of history. I love all of that. Mm-hmm. Is so much more interesting than the stuff Core is going through. It's a shame <laughs> that yeah. Asami can't be there for it. That Marco is having some weird detective thing going on in Bolin's an idiot. I don't know. It's just like it could have worked so much well, better. Well, well, that's the thing. Is that like I've said before, there are so many threads there. Yeah. And some you can see the potential of, some do work, many of which just don't. They just fall away and the whole thing falls apart. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. So what the fuck did Janora do? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. The In the commentary... So there literally is no answer. Uh, the, the, do you have like... Okay, what do you believe Janora did? I should, I should say. Um... I don't want to say too much because we get to understand sort of what Janora did a little bit more in the next season. Okay. Okay. Right. There's just, just a tiny bit. It mm-hmm. still doesn't really answer the question 100%. Okay. Right. But we understand a bit more about her sort of... She is tapping into a little bit of an airbender power that oh, not many people okay. are very good at yet. Yes. The idea okay. of like astral projection sort of thing, right? Right. So like metal bending for... Earth bending. Correct. Yeah. Or lightning bending for fire benders. Yeah, yeah. Okay, like, cool, cool, it's cool. like it's like an extra power that air benders have. Cool. Right? Okay, that helps me. Yeah. Um but the idea is that <laughs> what she brings to the battle is the question. Mm. Right? It's like what does she bring with her? And the creators in the commentary outright said that wasn't Rava that she brought. Right? Because Rava was the thing that was inside. Batu. But or they're like, well, maybe Avatar, yeah. maybe she brought something that sort of just made it easier to find Rava inside Vatu. Right? Like, because she's, because Korra's looking for her, mm-hmm. for Rava, but can't find her. Yeah. And Vatu's like, <laughs> she's not there, blah, blah, blah. She's and then, dead. And then Janora shows up and like, you see Rava start to shine through yeah. and then she like can get her out. 
Um, just brought her contact lenses. <laughs> <laughs> Spiritual contact There it lenses. is. Yeah. Just a magnifying glass. Oh. Um, but the question still is, well, what's that thing? You know, it's like, where did she go? Where'd she get it from? How'd mm. she know what to do? So there's like a couple of scenes that we missed. Yeah. There's a whole like, I would love a little comic on what Janora, the fuck Janora <laughs> was doing, why she was doing it and how she knew to do it. That's yeah. the thing that's missing. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's an answer. I've got just a couple of things that we should uh, quickly mention. A baby sky bison. How'd you <laughs> not bring that up? Sorry. Um, because I didn't take any notes during that scene because I was just squealing the entire time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my. Well, first of all, the finding of... What was that daughter's name? Iki. Iki. Cute name. Um, finding of her was just like... He's far too calm for having a daughter lost in the mountains at night. Anyway... But For it was like over 24 hours. Yeah, but it was all worth it. One of sibling interaction was great. And two, the babies. <laughs> They're so cute. Well, their names Blueberry Spicehead and <laughs> I, I don't know. There's four They're of adorable. them. They're all great. But you, because you bought me a Sky Bison, like a, how big, how big is that in, like a 30 centimeter. Did I buy you a Sky Bison? Yeah, you did. Why the fuck didn't I buy myself a Sky Bison? No idea. Where is it? It's, uh, it's up in my cupboard over oh, there. I'll have to go get it. Um, but now, because I want one literally the size of a baby. You want bison. like, yeah. Yeah. So I can just like line it like a beanbag. Do they have beanbag ones? Listen, here's the thing. We should do research. <laughs> Avatar doesn't have a lot of merchandise. Oh, it never so really sad. got big enough to mm. have a lot of merchandise. This is my hope for the live action remake of Avatar. <gasps> if it does catch on and justice is served to the Avatar the series. good though. Yeah. But- the idea that mm. even old, like, uh, original animated stuff might get a resurgence in, like, merchandise because yeah. Yeah, it true. fucking deserves it. Yeah. I did I get you that. Suckers Boomerang. I do have Suckers mm. Boomerang. Uh, That's a good present, if I do say so. It is a fantastic yeah. present. Thank you. That was great. I think it was a birthday. Uh, no, Christmas present. It was great. Mm. Uh, Lion Turtles Return. So, we get to see. Because mm. the, they were a big deus ex machina part of the ending of Avatar Last Airbender. Go, Wait, what? Yeah, it's like, where'd <laughs> yeah. you come from? So, to get them involved in sort of the origin myth of the mm. Avatar is very cool. And you really start enriches. Under- yeah, yeah. It, it, it goes such a long way because it's like season one of Korra deals with like um, taking away people's bending, which is a big thing that happens at the end of Avatar. I'm like, okay, cool. Sort of solidify that as part of the universe as a thing that can be done. And then the, the lion turtles are, are sort of presented again. You go, oh, I understand their exi- how they exist in this mm. world. It's still a bit like... Aang just walks into one, isn't that handy? But at least I understand its function. Yes. Sort of how its place in the universe. That's very, very cool and goes a long way to make the ending of Avatar just a little bit more palatable. Uh, We also have a couple of cool little cameos. Admiral Zhao. Jason Isaac's character from Avatar Season 1. Oh, that's in the fog. Which is great. Uh, Professor Z or Professor Zay, who died in the library. We see his skeleton. That's real dark. That's yeah. real dark. <laughs> like the middle of season two of Avatar. It's like, yeah. oh, the guy just stayed here until he decomposed. Great. And then Serena Williams also uh, has her little cameo on this season as well. As? She's the fire sage that finds Cora when she's like washed up on Serena the beach. Williams? She's the one that like passes. Like she's like, we found her on the beach and blah, blah, blah. And then the elder oh. one. Oh, yeah, the yeah, voice yeah. of the younger one, that's Serena Williams. I did notice that voice. You did yes. notice the voice and went, that's a that's not a voice actor's voice. Yeah, that's, that's a tennis that. player's voice. Greatest of all time, tennis player's voice. It's probably because I could hear. 
in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, least favorite and favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode to mask? Um, so many to choose from. Cop <laughs> <Got> that. <laughs> I'm going to go with episode three, Civil War Part One. Um, okay. Corey is so impetuous, and this is just like this is could be my answer to any of them. Um, she's so impetuous and daft um, that it becomes hard to watch. She's incredibly disloyal to her family and those that have proven themselves to her. It made my like blood boil that she stands by while her people are being occupied. Um, she just seems so dumb that it should be illegal, and that's why I don't like that episode. What about you? Uh, I want to give an honourable mention to The Sting, the mm-hmm. episode where Marco and Asami think it's a great idea to use... Gangs. The gangs <laughs> to try and do an investigation <laughs> mm-hmm. into, I don't know, whatever that was, um, which is, the I think, it's the last episode before... I, what I remember about that episode is when watching it the first time, I was in a really bad place with Cora. I was like, mm. oh, this has not been good this season and I ho- it needs to do something to turn this around. And the very next episode is the one episode. It's like, I remember that like uptick and like... Right. Oh, relief that this mm-hmm. show is good. And that was just such a low moment. Yeah. The but darkest I- part of night before the dawn. I correct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I said the worst it's ever going to get. Um, but I'm going to give it to episode four, Civil Wars Part 2. Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Mainly because it's this... It represents as a whole the problems of the first half of this season, I think. Just in terms of a lot of talking, a lot of stuff happening to people, a lot of Cora not... Or lots of people just not really being proactive. Mm. Uh, it just feels like if we've been the in the Water Tribe for like four episodes in a row now here, nothing's moving or... Cha- like, it's just a mess. I think the whole yeah. thing with like the judge is weird. I don't know. Um, the one saving grace this, this episode, Baby Sky Bison. Yay! Uh, what is your favourite episode? My favourite episode is episode 10, The New Spiritual Age. Firstly, this episode is visually stunning. Secondly, the plot is isolated. There's a lot going on this season, but in this episode, we have our main character finally, finally interacting with her flaws. Cora learns that her frustrations and failures come from flawed thinking. Her perception is off. She wants things to work. She wants things to go her way. And if they don't, she explodes. She's constantly banging her head against a brick wall and then blaming the bricks for being too hard. Seeing her back as a kid is also a great way to see that these issues are something that have always been with her, but they should be met with empathy and guidance. Her training has been off balance for quite some time, and because of that, she's become an angry and aggressive adult. But there is hope. This is a lesson where, sorry, this is an episode where I really saw Cora. Mm -hmm. And I was like, thank God, because I have been waiting to see this character. Yeah. Instead of just her jumping into every scene and screaming at everyone and then jumping out. So it was a huge relief episode for me. Yeah, so I love the interaction with Iroh. I miss him terribly and that I became hyper aware of that as soon as he was on screen. He was such a wonderful mentor and uncle and his presence was, was both calming to Cora and to me. Uh, Janora's story this episode is fantastic. Here we have a girl that is strong and smart and capable. She is like the other side of Cora. She's the side of her that has been nurtured spiritually, that is patient, kind, and willing to listen. It's a recognition of Janora's strength, which looks very different to Cora's. And it's, I think, an important step on Cora's journey. Um, 
and yeah, it has that ending, the fear in Tenzin's eyes that we talked about before when he turns and asks Cora what happened to his little girl. Uh, my favourite episode is episode eight, Beginnings Part Two. Mm-hmm. Really, this is part one and two as a complete whole. It's okay. sort of re- represented. I'm going to use uh, episode eight as the uh, representative of that. Um, yeah, but I'll give it to two for that excellent rousing conclusion and for seeing the stakes of the chorus story. It's just, it does so much to get the season going when it needed it. It was in such a hole and then he's able to pull it out and give us some great mythology stuff that doesn't ruin Avatar, that only enriches it mm. and then is so beautifully animated and I care about Wan and Rava by the end of that and the fight at the end is super rousing and strong. Uh, I think it's just, it's one of the high points in all of Avatar in my mind. And mm. I love it to bits. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S, Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss The Good Place Season 3 with our friend Shawnee, a.k.a. Shawnee Boy Draws. He'll be back. He did the first two seasons with us last year, Mm -hmm. and he's going to come back and do that with us this year. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.